We're going to be in Daniel 5. Uh, so if you have Bibles, phones, whatever, and you want to get there, that's where we're going to be. Um, I guess I should grab the clicker. Let's make sure I don't screw it up like I did last time. All right, it is on, and I am pushing the arrow over, and it is still not going. You guys tell me what I'm doing wrong. Because this is what it did to me last time. And I got a lot of like saying next the whole time. That's just not going to happen. So, um, well, hey, as they're figuring whatever out or if they're deciding, I just don't know what I'm doing, um, which is a, definitely a possibility. Uh, I just want to stop just for a moment as, as we're um, getting into this. And one of my favorite songs for a long time, worship songs, was... Uh, and has been open the eyes of my heart Lord. I always thought it was an amazing song um, It's a beautiful song especially when you, you start proclaiming the holiness of God But as we get started this morning I want to stop just for a moment and, and really make sure we understand what we're saying with that Right Open the eyes of my heart Lord. I want to see you um, For a long time I used to sing that song and I would think oh that would be so wonderful to see God No, me wrong. It'd be wonderful to see God. It'd be, be awesome to see God lifted high and lifted up I'm looking forward to that. Don't get me wrong. I think that would be amazing Okay, but see it ain't working for you either. So it, it ain't me um, Which I'm glad to know that that it ain't me But but here's the thing as we think about this um, If God were to show up and we were going to see him in his glory I, I want us to understand something we're not going to jump up and down all excited and say this is the best thing ever. Here's what's going to happen. We're going to fall down and we're going to see ourselves for how we really are. And that is sinful and unworthy. And, and, I can sh- and, and this is from Scripture. Um, one, one of the, as we were singing that song, this, this went through my head. This has always been something that really struck me. Um, if you ever, you know, study the book of Job, and, and Job has this amazing interaction. He, has, he goes through some amazing things, some tests that are unbelievable. And, and he's, let's just be honest, he's complaining the whole time. And I'd, I'd complain too, don't get me wrong. And then God shows up and he says, hey boy, I'm going to ask you some questions. And God starts asking Job some questions. This is how the book of Job ends. If you've never read the book of Job or if you've never heard this or if you hadn't heard it for a while, this is what Job says at the end. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job's response was, man, God, I just saw you in your glory. I just saw you for who you really are. And when I saw you for who you really are, it broke me. And it showed me how sinful I really am. And I say that because some of us might, we might hear that. like, oh, then I don't, that's not what I want. No, we, you want that. You want that. You want to see the glory of God. You want to be broken before a holy God. You want to see yourself as sinful as you are, because when you do that, and he still reaches out in grace and mercy and love, then you can sing, how wonderful, how marvelous, oh my gosh, this is unbelievable. So I just thought that was interesting, because that's some of the stuff we're going to be talking about today. Are we good? Do I, I'm still not working? Yeah. Just point. All right. This is going to get interesting. Does it work for Matt? Yes. <laughs> Next time I come, I'm bringing my own clicker. It's just the way it is. So with that in mind about seeing God, I want to ask us to do something together before we start. Up on the screen, you will see that it's, there's a prayer here from King David. This is David in one of his psalms, and he, and he says, Search me, O God. 
know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, I think this is interesting because when David says this, I don't think God doesn't already know David's heart, right? He's, he's like, God, know my heart. God already knew his heart. Well, God, know my thoughts. God already knew his thoughts. What David was ultimately saying is, God, let me know my heart and my thoughts the way you know my heart and my thoughts. And, and when you show me my heart and you show me my thoughts, then I'm going to see that there's wickedness in me. Because you see things that I don't see. You know things that I don't know. You know me better than I do. And that was David's prayer. He's like, show me any wickedness that's in me. Can I, can I just stop for a second and think about this? This is the man that the Bible, the Bible says a man after God's own heart. Now, if he's going to pray a prayer that says, God, show me the wickedness in me, then I definitely need to be praying this prayer. And, and so what I would like us to do is I would just like you to take, let's just take the next 30 seconds. And I would like you where you're at. If you're, and, and I'm going to say this. If, if you're willing to do it. Now, I want to I say this. This is, a, this is a dangerous prayer. That's a dangerous prayer. That doesn't get offered up lightly. I would like us to take 30 seconds. And I would like each of us to just pray this prayer before God. Where you're at and say, Lord, during the next however few minutes... Just search me. Know my heart, know my thoughts, and show me any wickednesses in me. Do that where you're at, just real quick. Lord Jesus, just let us be humble before you. Truly that is, we just need you to let us be humble. May our ears and our hearts and our eyes be open to you, Spirit of the living God. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our lives. Have your way completely. And ultimately, Lord, as, as we've been saying recently, let us not get in the way. Lord, don't let me get in the way. Don't let any word come out of my mouth that isn't something that is like ordained from your throne. But meet with us here in power. May your presence be heavy. May a, may a God-sized moment happen. We give you the praise in all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so th there's a place in... Uh, the Old Testament where Solomon is, is uh, praying and he, he's interacting with God and God tells him something that's really interesting to me. It actually came to mind while we were praying before the service. God comes and he tells Solomon, he says, listen, he says, the spirit of the Lord will come upon you and when the spirit of the Lord comes upon you, you're going to be changed. Uh, you're not going to be the same person. And I say that because I want to encourage us as we begin this time together um, what our motivation should be when we gather together as the church. See, when we gather together as the church, we are united by our common faith, by our one faith, by the one spirit. We are literally in the presence of God, united together through Jesus Christ our Lord. We are coming into the presence of the spirit. The spirit is going, the spirit is going to come upon us. He has been upon us. We've been worshiping. We've been proclaiming. 
he is here. Here's the thing. How many times do we wake up on Sunday morning and say, I get to go to church and I'm leaving changed. I ain't going to be the same person when I walk out the door as I was in the door, when I came in the door. I'll be honest with you. There's many times I go to church and that is not my attitude. My attitude is more focused on what's going to happen in the afternoon. My focus is more like, I'm going to give this guy like 20 minutes, and as soon as he talks over 20 minutes, I'm checking out. Right? I'm going to let you all in a little secret. And you're going to find something about it. Some of you probably heard, you've heard me before. I've been here twice. I'm, I'll be honest. I am pretty blunt sometimes. I'm gonna, hopefully Matt has said this, so I'm not going to be that blunt. Maybe the elders, hopefully you all said this to each other. This morning is not about you. Right? We get that, right? It's not about you. We've come to worship. We've come to experience the almighty God, the creator of everything. So I want to encourage us to have that mindset. It's like, I am here to come and have the spirit of the living God come upon me so that I'm changed. I don't know about you, but I need changed a lot. So let's see how this works. Awesome. That's, that's, that's like powerful. That's like, hey, no, no, go back, go back, go back. Got to watch my pointing this morning. All right. As we begin, also, I, I just want to put this out before us. This is another scripture that came to mind as I was preparing for this morning. You ever have those passages in the Bible that you, weren't, weren't, you just wish weren't in the Bible? This is one of them. I do not like this passage, but it's, it's still good. Um, listen to what it says. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as sons. Thank you very much. That's awesome. I want to be clear. The reason I'm sharing this is sometimes, I'm, again, I do this too. I come to church, and many times I come to church, and, and maybe it's been a rough week, and I want to come to church, and it's like, you better give me something that's going to make me feel good. And sometimes God looks, he's like, it's, this ain't a feel-good time. This is, we, we need to do some talking. And, and we can get this mindset of like, oh, Lord, that's not, I, wanna, I want the good stuff. And God's like, yeah, but here's the deal. My discipline is good stuff. My discipline's actually what's proving to you that I love you. My, my discipline's actually showing you that I've accepted you and that you're my child. So I want to just, I'm saying this at the beginning. If at any point in time while we're talking and you feel that heaviness of conviction. Allow it to be what it is. That's the God of the universe reaching down and stirring your spirit. And allow him to stir. Go to the next slide. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. That's good to know. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Like God is telling us, listen, when I discipline, when I rebuke, when I cause conviction, when I cause us to be uncomfortable, when I cause us sometimes to even get angry and frustrated and just like, why? God's like, listen, let it do what it's going to do because it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness. It's going to produce a harvest of peace if you let it do what it's meant to do. I'm saying all this because I'm telling you, this, the, the preparing for this sermon this week, I have, I have, I've actually had moments 
where I was sitting in my office just overwhelmed with conviction to the point that I've wrestled sometimes this week saying, God, I don't want to talk about this. And anybody that's ever told God, I don't want to, discipline comes even harder. So as we get into this, I want you to understand from the get-go, I only preach those things that God has taken me through. I will never stand up in front of any congregation and never say anything about anything when it comes to Scripture if it isn't something that I've personally had to process through and fight through and struggle with and apply and all of those things. So as we go through this this morning, I want you to know that everything that I'm going to share with you is things that God has placed heavy upon my heart and I'm sharing with you, and we're going to see if God's going to place it heavy on your heart. So please understand that as we get going. See, right now, some people are like, man, what the world's going to happen? That's going to be good. So, a faith that stands up to evil. Daniel 5. That's where we're at. A faith that stands up to evil. As I was processing this, uh, it was really interesting. I already had a sermon all worked out. I had the thoughts all worked out. And then God kind of showed up and he changed everything. And he did it based on this one scripture. Jesus said, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank that's in your own eye? Many times we use this. The world uses this. Even Christians use this as a way to say, don't judge people, right? You got your own problems. We're misinterpreting what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, go to the next slide. Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, so then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is still saying you need to help people with the stuff that's going on in their life. You need to speak truth to people. You need to stand up to evil. But Jesus is saying before you can do that, you got to take the plank out of your own. So here's the thought that I want to share with us as we begin looking at Daniel 5. To stand up to the evil in the world means I'm going to stand up to the evil in me. See, it's easy to look at the world and say our world is jacked up. You turn on the, you turn on the TV and it's just that's all it is anymore. It's easy to look at the things that are going on and say, that's evil, that's evil, that's evil, that's evil, that's evil. It is easy to point at the evil that surrounds us. But the reality is, before God can use us to effectively bring the truth of God and the gospel and the love of Jesus into the world and to stand up to evil, he must first deal with the evil inside me. Because I can't see clearly to help anybody else. And and can I honestly say that I think that for a long time, the church, and I'm guilty of this. This is where I'm saying conviction comes. I'm guilty of this. Many times I have tried to address the evil in somebody else's life, and God's looking at me saying, you little hypocrite. I want to use you to help them, but first, got to let me help you. And we got to deal with some stuff. See, when we start throwing around this world evil, my little... uh, uh, attorney gets out. My little attorney says, David, quit using the word word evil. You notice how we've tried to like uh, um, whitewash a lot of stuff in the world? Like we don't say things like sin much anymore or call wickedness, wickedness or evil in ourselves. We we say things like, well, I messed up. (laughs) Like I fell down. I faltered. You know, don't get me wrong, I agree with all those things, but there's also this truth in scripture where God looks at us and he says, just wicked. That's wicked. And I want to say, God, I'm not wicked, I'm good. 
You know, that's, that's my response. It's like, God, I'm not wicked. Come on. And God's like, no, no, no. We're, we're going to get down to the, the nitty-gritty here. I want you to see what the reality of things. Wicked. Evil. See, we hear, we hear the word evil, and it's really easy to point at other things and call that evil, but it's really hard for me to look at myself sometimes and say, what I have in me is evil. But let's talk about what evil is for a moment. How about we just look at evil as this? Anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. If we look at evil as anything that contradicts the holy nature of God, and we say, let's just call that evil, then really fast, I have to stop in the holiness of God, and I'll be like, oh my goodness. There's a lot in me that contradicts the holiness of God. There's a lot in me that contradicts the holiness of God. And God talks a lot about evil. Scripture is full of, of commandments to us and, and c- what God expects for us to do when it comes to evil. Now, we're going to go through the next ones kind of fast. So let's look at these scriptures real quick of just what God talks about with evil. You have, you must turn from evil and do good. We're called to, go to the next one. We're called to hate evil, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Go to the next one. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. Avoid every kind of evil. Flee the evil desires of your youth and pursue righteousness. Scripture is full of commandments to us to avoid that which contradicts the holy nature of God. Can we just all agree together that our world, man, you can't go outside the door and you're instantly in an environment of everything contradicts the holy nature of God. I mean, just think about it. I mean, you, everything anymore just seems like it contradicts the holy nature of God. Everywhere we go, we're surrounded by it. But again, let's define evil. Anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. So now let's think just real quick about the scriptures we just looked at. The action words that are in them. What is God calling us to do as followers of Jesus? Let's look at these action words when it comes to evil. Turn from it. Hate it. Don't delight in it. Avoid it. Flee from it. You know, the reality when I look at my own life sometimes, many times, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've grown up in the church. I was born into the church. Christianity's been part of my life from the moment I stepped out into the world. And I can look at most of my 40 years and I can say, you know what? I didn't follow those commands hardly at all. In fact, what I can look at my own life, and you see, I can look at the evil that surrounded me, and instead of, instead of running from it, instead of hating it, instead of turning away from it, instead of avoiding it, instead of fleeing from it, what actually ended up happening is I found myself wanting it. I found myself seeking it. I found myself enjoying it. And then as I grew in my maturity, don't get me wrong, I grew in my maturity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. All of a sudden, though, I wasn't running for evil, but I found myself excusing it. I found myself protecting it in my own life. It was really easy for me to find reasons that I could justify the things that I was doing that I knew contradicted what God wanted from me. It was easy. See, God calls us to have a faith that stands up to evil. And again, that's what we're going to talk about when we look at Daniel here, is it's not just we're standing up to the evil in the world we have to stand up to the evil that's in ourselves. You know, one of the things I find interesting, I'm, I'm going to throw this out there, because Facebook cracks me up. Um, it does. 
Because you ever find, and I'm going to give you an example. I, 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 it just cracks me up when you, so to talk about an evil that just happened, New York just passed their law when it comes to abortion. Straight up, just straight up evil. And, and, and Facebook cracks me up because I'll see people that are posting things to stand against that evil. And I'm not downgrading that. Don't get me wrong. People will say, this is horrible. This goes against the word of God. Or they'll say, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll put stuff on there. But then I look at that, and then I look at all their other posts, and I'm like, you do realize you're kind of contradicting yourself, right? Like, we're exalting evil in our life in other ways, and then we're trying to stand up against evil in the world. And the world looks at us as Christians, and he says, well, what is it? What is it? Are, 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 we stake, are we taking a stand against evil? But we find ourselves, we protect our own evil. We embrace our own evil. We excuse our own evil. So let's get into Daniel. Let's look at chapter 5, and let's just talk about this a little bit. So, the king had a kegger. That's what happened. If you haven't read the chapter yet, that's what happens. Basically, the, the king says, hey, let's, let's throw a kegger. Uh, we're going to invite everybody to it. And so the king invites everybody to his, his place. And, I mean, we're talking, there's probably thousands of people there. All the high officials, everybody that runs part of the kingdom. He says, come, and, and we're going we're gonna to have a party. And it says that the wine was, was just flowing freely. And they were enjoying themselves, and they were having fun. And it was just a really, really good time. Here's the thing. I don't think the kegger was the problem. Now, that's not a pro-kegger statement. But I don't think the kegger was the problem. Here's the problem. He gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that they might drink from them. So here's the problem. They're having fun. They're enjoying themselves. And all of a sudden, he gets this bright idea. Hey, bring the holy things of God in here. And let's use it to drink from it. Let's have, let's have some fun. Bring them in. Bring, bring it in. And it says that they brought in all the, the goblets and cups, and, and, and he gives them out to everybody, and it says all of his wives and all of the officials and even his concubines, they're all having a good old time drinking from the holy things of God. In fact, this is what it says next. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and of silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And do you picture what's going on here? They take the very sacred, holy things of God, and they're using it to worship false gods. They're, 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 just, they're just enjoying the evil that's among them. So here's the thing. Contempt towards the th sacred things of God. Contempt towards the sacred things of God because there was no fear of God. That's what we see going on here. We see the people acting this way. We see, we see the, the king acting this way because they, they literally had no fear of God. No fear of God. And because they had no fear of God, they had no problem showing contempt to the very things that were sacred to God. The holy things of God. Now, here's an interesting thing. When you start throwing out this word fear of God, it kind of it messes with some people. Because we don't want to talk about having fear. In fact, Scripture says, like, God removes my fear. Greatest hymn of all time. Most well-known hymn of all time. Amazing Grace, right? Amazing Grace always messed with me. Because there's the second verse that I'm like, this makes no sense to me whatsoever. When I was a kid, this made no sense. It talks about grace 
taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. It talks about, well, wait a minute, your grace taught me to fear, but then it says in the very next line that your grace removed my fears. And I always sat there going, what in the world are they talking about? And then it dawned on me as I've gotten older. The grace of God, when it falls upon us and it enters into our life, it actually teaches us to fear God. And we're going to talk about that just for a moment because some of us, we struggle with this. What do you mean I'm supposed to fear God? Am I not supposed to love God? Am I not supposed to, what are you talking about, fear God? Or some of us say, well, that's an Old Testament thing. That's not a New Testament thing. Well, it is in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy says, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Scripture constantly, especially Deuteronomy. Read Psalms too, Psalms over and over and over again. It calls us to fear the Lord. And look what it says there. It says, fear the Lord, and it says, walk in his ways and love him. So there's a connection between my love of God, my love of Jesus, but also my fear of the Lord. But again, sometimes we say that that's an Old Testament thing. The scripture tells us in Philippians, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And here's the one I really like. Acts says this, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. I mean, do you see how Scripture is telling us? I mean, right there, it's talking about the church. I don't know about you, but I want to see the church grow in numbers. I want to see the church grow in unity. I want to see the church grow in peace. I want to see communities come to know Jesus. And Scripture tells me that when the early church, that was happening, they lived in the fear of the Lord. So, again, let's talk about this just for a second. What does it mean to fear the Lord? To fear the Lord simply. To have awe total awe, wonder, terror, and reverence for the perfect, holy, righteous, all-knowing, all-powerful, self-existing, just creator of everything. See, here's the thing. Many times in my life, I would have told you I feared the Lord. I never feared God. Not like what that's talking about. I never feared God like that was talking about. And in my own lack of fearing God, what I ended up doing for most of my Christianity was I chased after my appetites of the flesh. I chased after the lust of my heart. I chased after the lust of my eyes. I harbored and protected my arrogance, my pride, my anger, my jealousy, my envy, my unforgiveness, my my selfishness. For most of my Christianity, I elevated my desires, my wants, and my will, ultimately making myself more important instead of living with a reverent fear of the holy God of the universe. And one of the things that I was thinking about this week as I was praying through this and I was wrestling with this is I was like, God, I know I have a fear problem. But is it possible that a lot of your church also has lost their fear of you? Where, let me give you an example of how this plays out. Have you ever been in a situation where God is calling you to share your faith with someone? And you want to do it, but fear comes. 
And all of a sudden, you just kind of like, ah, I'm afraid, Lord, of what they're going to say or what they're going to do or how they're going to react. Or you say, I'm afraid I don't know enough or I'm afraid. We just have a list of all of our fears. And then what we end up doing is, I'll call it out, I'm guilty of this. We'll walk away and we won't share our faith with anybody. We won't share Jesus with anybody because we're focused more on our fears of a man versus the fear of God. See, the fear of God is when even though I have these fears, all these fears enter in. Lord, I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if I can do this. But Lord, I fear you more than I fear them. I fear you more than I fear what reaction it's going to be. I fear you. Lord, I don't want to dishonor you. Because my fear of you is greater than my fear of anything else. See, that's what God calls us to. God calls us that we come to the place where we are more concerned about, I don't want to displease you than I am about anything else. Lord, I I can't stand up for my faith in my job site because I might lose my job. Well, guess what? Do you fear your job, losing your job more than you fear me? Well, Lord, I can't stand up to evil in my family because it might cause a division in my family. Well, listen, do you, do you fear that more than you fear me? Lord, here's a big one. See, we do celebrate recovery, and that's something that God has been using in my life just immensely. Lord, I don't want to face the stuff that's in here because I'm afraid of it. And it's going to hurt. And I don't want to admit that I'm a failure. I don't want to admit that I've screwed up. I don't want to admit that I have any brokenness inside of me. It's a lot easier to pretend like I'm perfect. My wife will tell you quickly, I'm not. So will my kids, by the way. But Lord, I'm more afraid of what's in here than I'm afraid of you. And God says, that's not where I want you to be. I want you to fear me more than you fear any of that else. One of the scriptures that went through my head was this. Go to the next one. Psalms 8 says this, When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care about them? All of a sudden that hit me this week. I was thinking about this, and and I don't know, why should we fear God? Well, think about what that's just saying. That is literally saying that God made the universe with his fingers. And he holds it in place. Scripture actually tells us that the universe, the highest heavens, cannot even contain God. What David's saying here is when I truly understand, God, how big you are, my only response is to feel like I'm this big. My only response is to look at that and say, who am I that you should even care about me? Who am I that you should even... Why would you even take a second to think about me? I am nothing compared to you. I am absolutely nothing compared to you. See, sometimes we hear this, we're like, well, wait a minute, you got to tell me how good I am and how, how important I am. I'm not saying you're not, but when we get a glimpse of who God is, it makes us understand who we are. But then, here's the beautiful part. Once we get a glimpse of who God is, and we understand who we are, 
Then the loving creator of the universe comes down and he says, yeah, you don't deserve this, but I still love you. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there going like, oh my goodness, I don't deserve this. I have no right to this. I have nothing to offer. But he still loves me. He still wants me. He still saves me. That's what David's saying here. David's like, when I look at the heavens, it makes me realize how, how nothing I really am. And why is this important? Because I know there's many times in my life that I have come to God with expectation, like, you have to do this for me. And God's like, no, I don't. I ain't going to do nothing for you. But because I love you, I will do things for you that you can't even imagine. See, it's all a heart thing. It's the evilness in us that thinks we have the right to demand anything from God. Just this week, I was wrestling with this, because you ever had something that goes through your life, something that happens in your life? No, I know we go through hard stuff, and I'm not downgrading the stuff that we go through, but there comes those moments when something bad happens, and I've been there, and you look at God, and you're like, why me? And all of a sudden, God just kind of hit me with this, and he says, David, that's not a bad question. That's where you're going to start. You're going to start with why me. But when you allow yourself to see me for who I am, and you allow yourself to see the forgiveness I've given you, when you allow yourself to see my grace and my mercy and my love, when you allow yourself to see that I am the God that the heavens cannot even contain, your voice, your attitude is not going to be why me. It's going to be, oh, Lord, why me? I don't deserve your forgiveness. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your mercy. I don't deserve any of this. Why me? Why me? And all of a sudden, our heart starts changing before God, and it's no longer this evilness of, like, selfishness of, I deserve better. Because God's going to show us, no, what you actually deserve is punishment. What you actually deserve is wrath. What you actually deserve is hell. But I loved you more than that, and I saved you from it. And you don't have any right to it, but I give it to you freely. See, the fear of God actually makes my salvation (laughs) even more amazing. Even more amazing. So here's the thing. Here's a couple things that I went through as I was processing this, and you look at what the king was doing, because then, then the king, you know, we, we, if you hopefully you read the story, the finger shows up, it writes some stuff on the wall, the king freaks out. I love the fact that the Bible actually says that his knees, like, knocked together. That's a scared man, right? I, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that this isn't true, but if your knees are knocking together, I'm going to go out on a limb to say he might even have wetted himself a little bit. I mean, that that dude was scared. But see, the problem is, is he still wasn't scared for the right reason. And he calls all of his magicians together and all his wise men. He says, tell me what it means. And they can't, they don't know what it means. And then all of a sudden, the queen mother comes in and she's like, listen, there's a man that used to serve Nebuchadnezzar and he has the ability to to read things and to know things and the God of, uh, you know, God is with him, so go get him. Here's what's interesting. Do you notice that Daniel's like forgotten at this moment? Like, he, he didn't even have a clue who Daniel was. They had to remind him of Daniel. Like, Daniel was off retired, enjoying himself. Daniel comes back, and he's just like, listen, I will make you the third most powerful person in the kingdom if you can tell me what that means, and I will, I will lavish gifts on you. I will give you gold. I will, I will give you all this wonderful stuff, this, this, here you go, and I will make you powerful, and I will make you rich. He was basically, I will, 
Take of my evilness is basically what he's saying. Enjoy the very thing that has mocked your God. That's what he's basically saying to Daniel. And Daniel looks at him, he's like, listen. He's like, I don't want none of your junk. You can keep your junk. And Daniel challenges him that he says, listen, the fear of the Lord, you need to get back to focusing on the glory of God. And I'm going to challenge us with that because it was a challenge to me this week. You need to get back to the glory of God. Go to the next verse. This is what Daniel says to him. He says, listen, he, ta- he starts talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and he says, the king was exalted. God raised the king up. God made him powerful. God made him the king of kings. God made him this amazing man that people feared. But then Daniel says this, but when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. What Daniel's saying is, is the king was actually judged because he stopped focusing on the glory of God and he focused more on the glory of himself. So let me explain where God challenged me this week and let me see if there's a possibility that it might hit close maybe to somebody's heart here. Here's the deal. If this doesn't hit close to anybody else's heart here this morning, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters because I hope like God's talking to us. But here's the thing. I'm sharing with you what God did with me. Here's what God said to me. He says, David, you're disrespecting my glory because you're trying to tame me. You're trying to contain me. You're trying to control me. You're trying to manipulate me. You're trying to take me, the exalted one of the universe, and you're trying to lower me down to your level when the reality is, David, I'm going to take you and I'm going to raise you to my level. See, what hit me is God was saying, I'm trying to tame the untamable. I'm trying to contain the uncontainable. I'm trying to control the all-powerful. How do I do that? I do that by saying things like this. God, I can't do that. David, I need you to do this. God, I can't do that. David, David I want to change you. God, you can't change me. This is just the way I am. And God looks at me, he's like, why are you trying to control me, David? Am I not greater than you are? Why are you trying to lessen my glory? Why are you trying to make it about you? Why are you trying to say you can't? Yes, you can't, but I can. David, you can't do anything, but I can do everything. Let me be the God that I am. Let me be the God that can't be contained in the universe. Let me be the God that is exalted. Fear me, David. Have reverence for me. Have awe for me. Trust me. Allow me to be the exalted one in your life and stop focusing on your limitations and focus on the fact that I am limitless. So I think many times, us in the church, we always want to start with what we can't do. We always want to start with what can't change. We always want to start with how we can't be molded into the image of Jesus and how these are just our crosses to bear. And Jesus looks at us and says, no, let my glory shine. Let my glory and my power be found in you. Let me do that which you cannot do. Because I'm the God that can split the sea. I'm the God that can speak creation with a word. I'm the God that raises the dead. I'm the God that changes the heart. I'm the God that does all of this. Let my glory reign. 
Is it possible that we have gotten to that place in our own lives where we have failed to focus on the glory of God and instead we focus on the limitations of us? I'm going to let you on, uh, when we think about this, when we think about the church and, and the whole, the merger and stuff and all this stuff, don't even think about the merger. One of the worst things I, ever, I think I ever hear in Christians and in churches is when we have this idea that God can't reach the entire community. Man, why do we limit God so much? Why do we limit God so much that God looks at our town this, this, this town of 5,000 some people and then go even further than that in our county and we try to say that God, God, you can't reach all of them. God's like, I am the God that can reach everybody. Just get out of my way and let's do it. Some of you, God's calling you to ministry of some kind. He's calling you out to do something and all you're focusing on is why you think you can't. Because you're focused more on you than you're focused on his glory. Lord, I'm afraid to do that. Well, you know what? Fear me more than you fear that. Lord, I can't step out into that. You know what? Fear me more than you fear that. Let my glory reign. The other way that God challenged me is he started making me think about the grace of God too and how I've treated his grace with contempt. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know how this is going to, you're going to feel about what we're going to talk about here in the next just two minutes, but God had me literally in tears as I was thinking about this this week. I was broken before God over this. Remember how I told you there's passages of Scripture that I don't like, to, I don't like that they're in there? <laughs> I'm going to show you another one. Hebrews 10 says this. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sin is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace. Hopefully you can kind of hear what God's saying there. Now, let's clarify something real quick. What we're going to talk about for the next minute or two is not, don't get me wrong, I mess up every day. I sin every single day. I, I, just the way it is. But there's a difference between my immaturity and there's a difference between me um, unintentionally. Don't get me wrong, there are things that I do where God will say, David, you shouldn't have done it that way. And I'll say, you're right, I shouldn't have done it that way. There's a difference between that and when I harbor absolute rebellion to God. When I have sin in my life that God has shown me over and over and over again, saying, David, get that out of your life. And I say, I don't want to. That's who God's talking to. He's like, listen, you are literally trampling the Son of God underfoot, and you are making a mockery of the blood of the covenant. Man, that stings. That stings me even now. Because there's been many times God has shown me things in my life and says, David, get that out, and I'll excuse it, or I'll protect it, or I'll say, I don't want to. And God says, pay attention to what you're doing. You're making a mockery of my grace. And it's evil, David. It's straight up evil. And, and, and I get it. 
When, when God shared this with me this week, I was like, God, I don't want to get up and do this in front of these people of Blessed Hope because we're trying to make them want me to come over to that church. Like, we're trying to make them be like, hey, he made me feel good. But here's the deal. I don't care if I make you feel good. My only goal today is to get you right with Jesus. I'm not. That's not my job to make you feel good. My job is to speak truth. Because here's the deal. I fear God more than I fear your reaction. And this stung me this week. Because there's still things in my life that God's showing me, David, that's rebellion to me. And if you say you love me, why are you doing it? If you say you love me, why are you acting that way? Why are you chasing after that stuff? Why are you running to it instead of running from it? One of my favorite authors to read is Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and he said this in one of his books. This, this is, blew my mind the first time I read it. He said, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. He said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus living and incarnate. Cheap grace is when we try to take the forgiveness of Jesus, but we don't allow the transformation of Jesus. Cheap grace is when I want to say I got my ticket to heaven, but I can do whatever I want here and now. Cheap grace is when it's about me and it's not about him. I have lived most of my Christian life with cheap grace. And I will confess it freely. It's calling myself a Christian and not allowing God to transform me into the image of his son. And this is what Daniel said to the king. He says, you do not honor the God who holds in, your, it holds in his hands your life and all of your ways. Man, if you want to talk about a reason to fear the God of the universe, it's right there. God literally holds my life in his hands. Scripture actually says that God holds the breath of all living creatures in his hands. You know what that tells me? That if God wasn't loving and gracious, if he didn't give me what I don't deserve, at any moment he could look at me and just go, I'm done with you. I am literally standing here right now shaking my head going, God, I don't know why you didn't do that a whole long time ago. I would have. I would have snuffed me out a long time ago. And it breaks my heart to know that I didn't deserve it, but he didn't do it. So here's the deal. The writing on the wall. And here's the funny thing. If anybody thinks I'm going long, <laughs> I can't see the clock anyway, so it don't matter. There's a glare there, so to me it's only been ten minutes. But here's the writing on the wall. Daniel comes in, and he says, this is what this, king, this, this is what this means, king. Here's the first one. He said, that first word means your days are numbered. Second thing. He says, you've been weighed, and you've been found wanting, or you're lacking, or you don't measure up. And the last one is, your king is going to fall. Your kingdom's going to fall. In fact, it's divided. He says... Your kingdom is going to be taken from you and it's going to be given to the Medes and Persians. Your kingdom is going to fall. 
I told us at the beginning that discipline that God gives us is never pleasant. Scripture tells us this. It's not pleasant, but it produces a harvest in us. It's painful. But here's what I want us to think about just for a moment. God brought me even this week. Don't get me wrong. I'm a lot farther in my relationship with God than I was even a month ago, a year ago, five years ago. But he still brought me to a place this week where I cried out the same thing as Paul. Paul in Romans cried this out. He said, God, what a wretched man I am. That's where I sat. I literally, you can, I text, you can ask him. I text Jim. I'm like, I am not worthy to give this sermon today. What a wretched man I am. Because God allowed me to see his glory. And when he did, he showed me my sinfulness. And see, sometimes we don't like say that because we've been in the church for a long time. We're supposed to like, we're supposed to act like we don't have sin. (laughs) You know what? The closer I get to Jesus, the more sin he shows me I have. You know, a mature Christian to me is not the mature Christian that walks around saying they got everything together. It's the mature Christian is like, I am so screwed up. I need him more today than I did yesterday. And I cried out, Lord, what a wretched man I am. But then Paul says these beautiful words. He says, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. A faith that stands up to evil, when we allow God to give us that faith, your only answer will be, what a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God, to Jesus Christ our Lord. Because it's not about me. It's not about my abilities, it's not about my talents, it's not about any, it has nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with him. So this is the last verse as we wrap this up. Isaiah says this. God talking through Isaiah. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Here's the thing I want you to think about just for a moment, and then we're going to do something that maybe you've never done before. When those words got written up on the wall, what it said to the king was, King, There's something not right here. There's something not right. This morning, I want us to honestly ask us, remember I said at the beginning, we said that prayer, search me, O God, and know my heart, know my thoughts, show me if there's any wicked way in me. My question for us to consider here for a moment is, this morning, are you sitting here and God is telling you something isn't right? Something's not right. See, for some of us, what's not right is we've never received the forgiveness that he's offered. We've never even put our trust in Jesus. We don't even have a relationship with Jesus. That's what's not right. But for some of us, others of us that have already put our faith in Jesus, I'm not denying your forgiveness. I'm not denying your salvation. I'm not saying anything against that. But God is placing conviction on you that says, yeah, but something's not right. 
God's looking down at us. He says, listen, your days are numbered. Let's deal with this. You've been measured and you've been found wanting. Something's not right. I mean, this is where one of those things where conviction is a beautiful thing because, it conv- again, conviction is that just stirring inside your spirit. I-, I love to say this. I've been saying this for years because some people say, well, how do I know if God's convicting me? How do I know if God's moving in me? <laughs> I can't speak for everybody, but I know me. The times that I know God is stirring in me, it's like he's taking his finger and he shoved it in my chest and he's just spinning it around. It's just like the insides of me just want to explode. And they just build with intensity because God's stirring his spirit inside of me. And he's saying, hey, I'm trying to break free in you. I'm trying to break through the barrier that you've created. I'm trying to knock down the walls that are holding you back. I'm trying to change you, to transform you, to purify you, to make you holy. I'm going to empower you. Jesus said there are... Through the Spirit of God, rivers of living water will flow out of us. How many of us are experiencing that this morning? If you're not, then there's something wrong. If Jesus promised it, it's supposed to be there. So right now, if God's stirring in you, he's stirring the Spirit because he's trying to break the dam that's been put inside of you that's keeping the living water from flowing out of you. That's why I said earlier, I mean, I made a joke about it, but here's the thing. I could care less about the time. I could care less about the potluck. I could care less about any question that you all have for me. If God is stirring in you this morning and you leave here without allowing him to stir and break free, man, all that other stuff is worthless. What's the point? So here's where God brought me this week. Once again, here's the beautiful thing. He does this to me, and he just keeps growing me. But he brought me to this place where I, I sat, and like I said, I sat in my office, and I'm sitting there just convicted with this, and I'm just broken by it, and I looked at him, and I'm just like, okay, God, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I have wasted too much time not fearing you the way I'm supposed to. I've, been, I've wasted so much time not putting you in the exalted position that you deserve. I've spent too much time worrying more about the junk of this world and this life than I do of your glory and your grace. I have been more concerned with me than I have been with you. Enough is enough. And I found myself, this is really interesting, because I, 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 I had a whole different sermon that I was planning on doing last week. Because all of a sudden I found myself before God praying this prayer, Lord, give me a faith that stands up to evil, the evil in me. Because enough is enough. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of carrying this crap. I'm tired of not experiencing the abundant life that you promised. I'm tired of wasting time. Enough is enough. Give me a faith that stands up to evil in me. So here's where I said we're going to do something a little bit different that maybe I don't know if you guys do it. I'm a firm believer in when God moves, (laughs) you respond. Firm believer in it. 
Because here's why it's necessary. If you don't respond to God when he's calling you at the time, here's what happens. You're going to go downstairs, you're going to have a nice little meal, and that conviction's going to start fading, fading, fading. You're like, I'll take care of it when I go home. You go home. I'm sure people have experienced that before. You go home, and by the time you get home, you kind of completely forget anything you were feeling at the time. Here's, here's the way I look at it. When God shows up and God says, I want to do something in you, let God do something in you. Right then and there. I'm also a firm believer in what Jesus said. Hopefully everybody's on the same page with me on that. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. So here's the thing. (laughs) Remember I said before, fearing God more than fear of anything else. If God is stirring in your heart right now, if he's stirring you up, if he's saying, hey, there's something wrong, we've got to deal with it, there is something wrong. If he's like, I want to break that dam, I want to get some, I want to get me flowing in you. Here in a second, I want to pray for you. But I want us to step out in faith and say, I want a faith that stands up to evil. I want a faith that stands up to the evil in here. I know there's evil in here, God, and it's it's enough's enough. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray over you. I want to pray with you. But I'm going to ask you. If God's stirring in you over this, I'm just simply going to ask you, I want you to stand up where you're at. And I will pray for you from there. Now, right when I said that, people were like, oh, I knew. You know why? Because we start thinking things like this. What's the person next to me going to think? I've been a Christian. I'm a, I'm a leader of this church. What are they going to think if I stand up? Who cares? Fear the God of the universe more than you fear the opinion of the person next to you. I'm a pastor right now up here telling you I am screwed up. (laughs) And I could care less what you think. Because I fear the God of the universe more than I fear your opinion. If God is stirring in you, then stand up and be counted. Say, God, enough is enough. I want the faith that stands up to evil in here. Enough's enough. Something ain't right. And it's got to change. Something ain't right, and it has to change. Remember I said before, when you gather as the church, are you ready to be believed changed? And we're not going to do bow your head and close your eyes, because y'all know people don't bow their heads anyways. Everybody looks anyways. Y'all know it. We may bow our heads, but y'all know you're going to open your eyes and see who's moving around you. So what's the point? I'm not going to have the worship band come up and play softly and get this old emotional thing going and, and let's, let's get all... No. My yes is going to be yes and my no is going to be no. And the last thing I'm going to say this, then I'm done. I'm honestly, I'm almost done. The glare's gone away. I can see the clock now. Here's the last thing. Don't stand up just because somebody else stood up. Don't do it. Don't stand up because you think you're expected to stand up. Don't stand up because you think, I don't want to be the only one that's not standing up. I've done that many times in my life. It doesn't do a, doesn't do a darn thing because I'm not doing it for the right reasons. Stand up because you're saying to God, enough's enough. Something's got to change. And I want the faith 
that stands up to evil. I want the waters of living waters to be flowing out of me. I want to be empowered. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I want to be used for your glory. I don't want to neglect your grace. I don't want to do it anymore. Enough's enough. So, that's how I want to end. I want us to stand, if that's, and I want to pray over you, and then we're done. Other than the worship team coming and closing with the last bit of worship. So there you go. I'm standing here. I'll be the first one. So nobody sit there and say, I don't want to be the first one. I'm the first one. You know what I love is, I don't know how many people are here today. I really don't. But scripture tells me that God took 120 people stuffed in an upper room and when the spirit of God fell upon them and they were changed, he turned the world upside down. And in one day, he took that church and he used them to bring over 3,000 into the kingdom of God. Man, it is time for us to unleash the God of the universe and let him do things through us that we can't even imagine is possible. But we have to say enough's enough. I want you guys to realize that let me pray for us. Jesus. Father, I honestly don't even know what words to say. You are, just may you be exalted in our presence. Spirit of God, I pray an empowerment over each and every person that is standing. I pray that the Spirit of God falls in abundance upon every single person that is standing, that is declaring before one another, before all of creation, before all of heaven, enough is enough, Jesus. You have to be everything. You have to be everything. Lord, let us not just see this as a moment of, of, wow, I had an emotional experience. Let us see this for what it is, and it's us putting ourselves on the side of the Almighty and saying, use me, fill me, empower me, allow your spirit to flow through me, give me the life of abundance, Lord, and I don't want the life of abundance just for me. I want to be a person that glorifies you. I want to be a person that fears you more than anything else. Lord, I don't want to be afraid anymore of anything else because I know that I serve the God of the universe that is bigger than everything else, that the heavens don't contain your glory, but yet you pour out your glory into me, Lord. Let us not fear anything because our God is so big, so awesome, so amazing. Lord, I don't know what has moved individual people to stand, but allow them to know that it's going to be different. Allow them to know they're leaving changed. And let us not base that on emotion. Let us not base that on what we feel. Let us base that on truth. The God of the universe has promised when you stand for me, when you put your faith in me, when you put your trust in me, when you allow me to take hold of your life, you are different. You are transformed. You are changed. You are no longer the person you were yesterday. Lord, fill us with the anticipation and excitement of what that means. Let us be filled with just unexpressible, ridiculous faith. Lord, use us to change the world. But let us first allow you to change the evil in us.
and then replace it with your holiness and your righteousness and your glory all to the praise of Jesus our Lord and our Savior Amen now before you sit down I want you to look around at everybody now again the beautiful part about looking around at everybody is one, most of you are standing up if not all but now church, this is your responsibility you need to watch out for one another you need to encourage one another you need to empower one another and you need to hold each other accountable because now you guys have given each other permission to look at each other and say hey, hey, you were standing up and we're getting rid of the evil in here so knock it off Wives, that gives you permission to do that with your husband if they're standing next to you. Husband, that gives you permission to do it to your wives. That's your greatest resource right there. Is my wife standing up? I see you. I'm just telling you, I'm not. We are called to grow together. Do it. This is your family. Be a family. Be a family. And watch what Jesus will do. Man, he is good.